Welcome to What May Seem. My name is Host, and look out your window deep into the night. Try and follow that movement, that rustling. Is that a face in the bushes? Hello, dear listeners. Nothing is okay, and I live in a godless wasteland. Hesitation is a curse, one that I find myself suffering quite often. Last week's episode is evident of that. What did I even say in that episode? Nothing. I I just waffled for nine minutes and twenty-seven seconds, and where did that get me? Nowhere good, I assure you. Miguel and I returned to the other forest for our daily check-in the morning after I recorded last week's episode. What we came upon was a barren wasteland, not a tree in sight. What had once been formidable and, and there was gone reduced to a rotting plain of plant matter as far as the eye could see. It was devastating, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't the tiniest bit in the darkest corner of my mind, relieved. The other forest was my living hell, a looming terrifying presence in my life that haunted me for a mistake that I made unknowingly. Seeing it leveled gave me some sick sense of satisfaction, as though I had won. I was the one still standing. That satisfaction was soon quashed by the realization that the disease was nowhere to be found. It should have been easy to spot, but as we looked out on a sea of death and decay, we saw nothing. No rattling bones or sharp claws, no hunched back or sightless eyes. Nothing. Now that was disconcerting. The kind of disconcerting where you're staring out into endless, rotting plants and you realize that the one thing that should have been there isn't there, and then you turn towards your best friend just as he turns towards you, and you know that you're reflecting the pure horror that you see in his face right back in your own. That kind of disconcerting. But there was somehow... A bright side to this, for the other forest had lost its menacing aura. No longer did I feel my stomach drop when I crossed the threshold into what had once been the forest. It was powerless. My stomach did, however, leap up into my throat, and I had to suppress the urge to vomit as my foot sunk into the pit of decaying organic matter until the slush rose up to my knee. It was honestly one of the most disgusting things I have ever done. But Miguel and I were determined to explore, and so we trudged further onward, looking for any sign of the disease as we did so. 
Our theory was that it had fallen with the forest, dying of starvation after it had bled the land dry. The thing is, though, when something dies, it normally leaves behind some sort of corpse. Even the poor animals that fell victim to the disease left behind a skeleton. But there was nothing. No corpse. No skeleton. And slogging through the foot and a half of disgusting stuff on the ground for even twenty minutes had exhausted us. So we stopped to catch our breath. I suddenly felt very... Uneasy. As though there was something I was missing, something lurking just out of sight and mind on the edge of my vision, waiting for me to let my guard down so that it could make itself known. I was determined to not let that happen, and so, as I listened to Miguel ramble about something I cannot recall, my hand drifted to my trusty hatchet, holstered at my hip, and I undid the strap that held it in place. Didn't do much good, though. You'll understand in time. You know that feeling when you're witnessing something so awful, so unbelievable and terrible that you just freeze up? You're powerless to do anything but stare in awe and tragic disbelief as that which you've feared slowly but surely comes to fruition. Cause I do. As Miguel talked and talked, engrossed in some batshit idea about conservation and recovery, I watched as the gelatinous sludge behind him trembled and parted to make way for the skin-and-bone form of the disease, rising like a formidable thasmid with foot-long claws out of the depths of the goo. I watched as it straightened to its full height of twice my size and stood in silent horror as it loomed over an oblivious Miguel. I was frozen, powerless and in awe of both the tragic threat to our lives standing in front of me and the clueless idiot standing directly in front of it and talking about the oxygen levels in soil. Of course, Miguel's utter ignorance is not the only thing to blame for what happened next, as I didn't react to the situation much better, what with not doing anything until it was too late. My brain was moving the exact opposite of a mile a minute, and it wasn't until the disease lifted its magnificent arm to swing at us that I thought to grab and hurl the hatchet that my hand had been resting on the entire time. This, of course, was not helpful at all. And by the time my brain had told my hand to do the whole grab-and-throw thing, the disease's arm was connecting with both mine and Miguel's heads in one fell swoop, and we were effectively down for the count. See, the thing about a creature that has little to no meat on his bones is that... Well, it, imagine if someone were to whack you in the side of the face with their arm. 
Sure, it wouldn't be great, and you probably would stop talking to that person, but you'd be fine, bruised at the worst. Now imagine that same person took just the bone of the arm and whacked you in the same way. Without the, you know, fat and muscle to cushion the blow, it would be similar to getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. Now, imagine that the thing hitting you was not a person-sized arm bone, but rather that of a ten-foot-tall creature. The impact is... powerful. The situation was not improved by the fact that, when we did fall, we were submerged in disgusting, gross, horrendous, I do not know how to properly communicate the texture nor the smell of that which we fell into unwillingly. On the bright side, however, when you are dazed and on the edge of consciousness after receiving a blow which most definitely gave you a concussion, a great way to bounce back from that is being dunked into compost. Not only will you be unable to breathe, but you will throw up multiple times and smell it on your skin for days afterwards. It's a win-win situation. We struggled our way out from the guck and stumbled to our feet, Miguel letting loose a stream of curses and rather hurtful accusations that essentially boiled down to, why didn't you tell me that there was a massive thing behind me making a very appointed attempt to end my life? I shot back with some baseless accusation in regards to his hearing and spatial awareness, and we argued for a couple minutes, until we realized that the disease hadn't waited around for us to gather ourselves before leaving, and in fact had exited what remained of the other forest and was lurching down the road at a speed that was quite impressive, considering it was on the edge of death. I checked for my hatchet which remained quite comfortably at my hip, looked at Miguel, who seemed not all there, and then we gave chase. It took us a while to slog our way out of the other forest and back to the car, but we made it eventually and jammed ourselves into the vehicle not even trying to avoid getting sludge on the interior, for we knew it would be a fruitless attempt. By the time we were situated, the disease had disappeared, lost to the curves of the road, but we had a pretty good idea of where it was headed. The road would take it directly to the forest by my home, where it could situate itself for another few decades until it exhausted its resources there, and then it would move on to another forest, and then another, and another after that, continuing the vicious cycle that it thrived off of. My head swam with what-ifs as I gunned it down the dirt road, Miguel holding on for dear life and looking as though he was going to vomit again. I don't blame him. My vision was the slightest bit blurry, and all I wanted to do was sleep, which was not a good sign. But the road was less than well-traveled, and so I felt perfectly fine driving on it whilst incapacitated. It took us a while, but we eventually caught up with the disease, it having slowed down quite tremendously since we last encountered it. I pulled the car over, and Miguel tumbled out throwing up on the side of the road. 
I almost followed suit, although I did barely manage to suppress the bile in my throat in favor of making sure Miguel was okay. He was. Well, he wasn't, but he said he was, and I wasn't exactly in a position to fact-check that statement, so I took it at face value. Neither of us was a pretty sight, covered in plant matter and bodily fluids, but it was oddly nostalgic, that moment. It reminded me of my first ever trip to the other forest. Anyway, we caught up with the disease, although it hadn't traveled much further, and stood in front of it, waving our arms and shouting to get its attention. We miraculously did, and it stopped, focusing its milky eyes on us best it could. It was at that exact moment when we realized we had no plan whatsoever. It didn't seem as though the disease could be reasoned with, and we by no means had the equipment to safely capture and sedate it. It was just the three of us, standing off in the middle of a dirt road between two forests. I gazed up into the disease's eyes and saw nothing but desperation. I don't believe, to this day, that it was actively malicious but we were standing in between it and the only thing it needed to survive. And it hated us for that. And it was big, and even when it was dying, it was strong. And we were small and weak, and we didn't stand a chance. And so that's why, when the disease raised its arm for a second time that day, I didn't hesitate. I hurled my hatchet at it. Never before have I had a weapon strike more true than my hatchet did that day. It sailed through the air and buried itself between the disease's eyes, stopping it dead in its tracks. With a creaking groan, the disease fell dissolving into a puddle of black rot that splashed over Miguel and I. My hatchet lay on the road, as innocuous as an object that had just taken a life could be. But it wasn't the hatchet that had killed the disease, no. It was me who had thrown the hatchet. I fell to my knees, utterly devastated at the prospect of what I had just done, trying to wrap my head around the fact that I had, in mere seconds, made the decision that I had been so desperately trying to avoid making. Miguel sat beside me, gently rubbing a hand up and down my back and muttering slurred platitudes but they did no good. I was destroyed, and I was so, so tired. I shifted to lay on my back in the road, not caring about the mixture of disease juice and dirt that was caking itself into my hair, and resolved to die right then and there, 
to let the ground swallow me whole so I could drift into blissful nothingness. My eyes were just fluttering shut when Miguel nudged me. You didn't have a choice, he comforted. We both know that it would have destroyed this area's ecosystem if you hadn't stopped it, he continued. And besides, hey, do you know that girl? The sudden change in topic shook me from my attempt at sleep, and I shot up to see what he was talking about. Down the road, pedaling furiously on a bright blue bicycle, was the librarian I had paid to watch my house a while back. She braked hard when she reached us, muttering something along the lines of, I thought I had heard something down this way, and set about loading us up into the back of my car with very clear instructions not to fall asleep as she started to drive into town. We left the hatchet on the road. The ride to the emergency center in town was a blur, but the librarian, whose name is Marissa, made sure that we were checked in and good to go before rushing off, leaving behind no explanation of how she had known where to find us. We were released soon after, with diagnoses of concussions and instructions not to do certain things. One of those things was drive, but we were able to arrange a ride back to my house from a friendly bartender. I spent the rest of the evening sitting in a stunned silence on my couch, absent-mindedly running my fingers through Daryl's fur as Miguel desperately tried to get any response out of me by retelling stories of our adventures in university. I couldn't find it in myself to indulge him. The next morning, we came to the conclusion that we had to get to the sunlit forest as quickly as possible. However, that was hard to do when we were under hard orders to rest until we recovered. But by doing exactly that, and with the help of a mysterious miracle cure that Marissa dropped off for us, we were cleared for travel yesterday. We have a disease to cure, dear listeners. So long for now. <laughs>